0: Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at RiverValleyRanch.com. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Oh, you guys can do better than that, right? Good morning. morning. Uh, I know it's the end of the weekend. I heard there was a group of guys that had this uh, wonderful idea to pull an all-nighter last night. Was there a group of guys tried to pull an all-nighter, but it got shut down? How was you guys? All right. Might have sounded like a great idea last night. I don't know how you're going to feel tomorrow morning, you know, as your parents are trying to get you out of bed. But uh, man, I hope that you have had a wonderful weekend. And I know we're on the home stretch here. And we just want to try to wrap up this weekend with a few closing thoughts. But I love this exercise that you did up here is that our lives are made up of all these little moments. And sometimes when we're up real close, we don't see the moment for what it really is. It's only when we take a step back. When you had a little piece, you had no idea the intricate picture that would make when you put all those pieces together. You know, There's a saying, it says, the last thing that can tell you anything about water is a fish. I don't know if you know what that means, But that means when you're in the water, submersed by the water, and the water's right here, you can't really tell anything about it. But when you take the fish and remove it, and you take a step back, you have a different perspective, and you get a grander picture of it all. Sometimes that happens much later in life if we put ourselves in that situation. You know, if I was to take one of you up there and hold up a piece of poster board three inches from your face, and I said, open your eyes, what do you see? You say, I see a piece of poster board. I say, okay, take a couple steps back. Now what do you see? Oh, I see you holding the poster board. Take a couple more steps back. Now what do you see? I see you holding the poster board in a room full of people from Living Word. You know, the farther we get back, we can see things clearly for what they are. Right now, you're in the middle of it. And some of the things that are happening, whether they're good, you're like, oh, this is good, but you don't see how it's going to play into the rest of your life. Or you see things that are tough, like you've written right up here on this board, and some of them are tough, and you might not see how it plays out until you get a different perspective on it. And the pieces of the puzzle, the good times, the bad times, come together to make a beautiful picture. There's a story that I heard about, and it involves this guy. Can I take a few minutes of your time to tell you his story, all right? This guy, obviously, you can probably tell from the way that he looks, the way he's standing, what he's wearing. You can take some contextual clues that this guy works in the NFL. He works for a team called the Kansas City Chiefs. He is one of the coaches for the team. He is about 48 years old in this picture. His name is Dylan McCullough. His story is very similar to what we've just been talking about. There are pieces of his life that were a puzzle that he didn't understand as he was growing up. And only when he turned 48 years old did you see the pictures of the puzzle come together to make something beautiful, just like you did here. We're all connected. and when we put this puzzle together, we see Christ's love for each and every one of us. But this guy, like I said, his name's Dylan McCullough, about 48 years old, a coach for the Kansas City Chiefs who were just in the playoffs. They lost. Any Kansas City Chiefs fans in the house? Okay. Any New England Patriots fans in the house? Okay, a few of you. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs. The Patriots beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. They were one game away from being in the Super Bowl. One game away. Well, this is Dillon's story as he was coaching as the running backs coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. You see, he had a situation that was tough. If he was sitting here in this room, he would be writing certain things on this tile of things that are tough, things that are hurtful, things that were painful as he was reflecting on his life. But then as he put those different tiles together, it made a beautiful picture. Because this is a story about how he found his father. So let me tell you, he is a, uh, a running backs coach now, but his life didn't always look good. He's not working for one of the pro- most productive businesses in, in the United States. He doesn't have a position. He didn't just end up with a position of authority for a championship contender. All right, he, he had a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. You see, he was born to a 16-year-old teenage mom kind of in the projects in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All right, She was 16 years old, fooling around in high school, became pregnant. And when she became pregnant... She was embarrassed and finally told her mom, Mom, I, I, I messed up. I made some mistakes, but I'm pregnant. And her mom, and this was about 50 years ago when this happened, all right, had a response that said, This is an embarrassment. I don't want anybody to know. So you're going to live with your aunt in Ohio until you have this baby. All right, And then when you have the baby, I want you to put up for adoption, and then you can come back home. Well, at 16 years old, she had this beautiful baby boy named Dylan McCullough. Well, that wasn't actually his name at the time. Dylan is his adoptive name, okay? But she had this baby boy, put him up for adoption. She was in the hospital with him for less than two days before she had to say goodbye to her son and put him up for adoption, okay? And he got adopted by a lady kind of in this Youngstown, Ohio area. And she adopted him at six weeks old and brought him home, a beautiful lady to take care of Dylan. This is a picture of them as adults, as he took a picture with his adoptive mom. But she had already had a son. Dylan had an older brother at the time. And it was a nice little happy family. It was a father, a mother. They weren't his biological parents. They were his adoptive parents. And it wasn't his biological brother. It was his adoptive brother. But he didn't know anything better because he was young. And at two years old, kind of in this picture, his father, his adoptive father, abandoned them. He left. I don't know if it was uh, something domestic where he felt tied down or he wasn't in love anymore or it was just too much responsibility. The story doesn't really say because we don't hear much about his adoptive father in the story. But the mom had to raise two young boys on her own, kind of in the projects now of Youngstown, Ohio. And she worked hard. She worked very hard to put food on the table to provide a house. But there were times when ends just wouldn't meet. And the power was cut off, and they were cold. Or they went without food, and they were hungry. Or they were sitting in the darkness trying to do their homework because they didn't have electricity. And he tells this story. He grew up with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And he harnessed some of his intensity and some of his anger to the sport of football, which he loved. And his mom, adoptive mom, made lots of sacrifices to make sure her son had the opportunity to play football, whether it was in the youth, whether it was in middle school, and eventually in high school. Well, he channeled his intensity into the sport of football, and he turned out to be pretty good where people in this town of Ohio would hear about Dylan, Dylan McCullough breaking records for the high school. He got interviewed when he was a young man on cable access TV in the area. Well, he started to do so good that he got the attention of some college recruiters, some college scouts, and enters his story a guy named Sherman Smith. Okay, this is Sherman Smith now. Not back in the day. This is Sherman Smith back in the day when he first heard about Dylan. Sherman Smith was a running backs coach and college recruiter for a school in Ohio, kind of close to his hometown. He had heard about Dillon. He said, I want this kid to come play for our college. Our college is called the University of Miami of Ohio. I know Miami and Ohio. How did they come together? I don't know. But there is a famous NFL player that did come from that same college. Very good. Ben Roethlisberger, okay, thumbs down? Was that thumbs down? Thumbs down? Yeah. Two thumbs down? Oh, we're Ravens fans here, okay? We're Ravens fans, but we, we love you, okay? Just not Big Ben, all right? So um, Big Ben played at the University of Miami of Ohio. I don't think it was around the same time as Dylan. okay? Dillon had already graduated because he's 48 years old, but he got recruited by this guy, Sherman Smith, that was a coach at University of Miami, Ohio, and he really liked Dylan. He loved the intensity he played. Knew he came from a hard background. There was kind of this connection. And he remembers, as he was recruiting, he went ahead and he talked to Dylan's adoptive mom, said, I really would like him to play. And he goes, listen, I know you're a single mom. You're taking care of this. I know I'm not his father, but I will treat him like he's my son, is what he said. And that resonated with Dylan because he missed having a father figure. It resonated with his mom because she missed having a man speak truth into her son's life. So through conversations, he went ahead and signed his letter of intent to play for Sherman Smith at the University of Miami, Ohio. And this is him on his signing day as a high school senior, December 1st of his senior year, signing to say, I've got my college paid for. The intensity that I played football with, based on situations that I've dealt with in my life, had led me to this point. Well, he did well in college. He was actually the conference rushing leader and had set a record. And I don't even know if the record still stands. But he had caught the attention of some NFL scouts. And he got recruited to play for the Cincinnati Bengals at this time. If you're a big football fan, you can see here the other picture person in the picture is a guy named Boomer Esiason, who played for the Cincinnati Bengals and took them to a Super Bowl, which they lost at that point. But here they are in this picture talking, and he played. And for the first three games of his rookie season, Dylan led the league in rushing yards, rushing yards from scrimmage, until something happened when he's running and somebody tackles him below the waist, hits his knee, and blows out his knee. And this is many years ago, so the surgery and the technology and all the kind of uh, things that we have now in modern medicine weren't available to him. And that was actually the last game he ever played in the NFL. Three games into his rookie season. And so he's like, what do I do now? Football's been my life. I had a kind of set a path. I have been coached to have this path. I've been given opportunities to play this path. And now this path has been taken away. But he stayed with the sport of football, just not as a player, but he became a coach at his alma mater, where his old recruiter, his old college coach, said, I'm not your father. I'm going to treat you by my, like my son. You played for us. When you're out of college, you get injured. I think there's a place for you. And kind of put a word for him to come back to his alma mater, University of Miami, Ohio, where he started coaching again, or coaching for the first time, back with his college And things were going well. He got the attention of some bigger programs, ended up becoming a coach at Indiana University, which is part of the Big Ten. And from there, his coach left and went into the NFL. His recruiter, this guy Sherman Smith, went and was in the NFL, and he was working for the Seattle Seahawks at the time and said, Dylan, I want to offer you an opportunity. Can you come when you're off season with college and come be a part of this program? I think there's a place for you in the NFL. I'm looking out for you remember my promise and like i said there was this instant connection and he did a whole internship with the seattle seahawks And at this point now he's married on his own he's got a couple of kids by that time and then he gets a big time job at usc and then from there back to the nfl or to the nfl for the first time as a coach not as a player And that's kind of the trajectory of his life. You can see the ups and downs. You can see the pieces of the puzzle possibly starting to come together, but you don't see the big picture. Because there is a longing inside of him that says, I know who I am. I think I know who I am. I'm a college coach, an NFL coach. I'm a father. I'm a husband. But there's a part of me that doesn't know where I've come from. And there was a longing inside of him. And I don't know if you know who Alex Haley is, but this is an Alex Haley quote. He says, in all of us, there is a hunger to know who we are and where we have come from. And so he began the search to find out who his biological parents were, who his birth parents, where did I come from? How did I end up like this? I know I've got personality traits that I don't see in my adoptive mom. Where did they come from? I know I look a different way. Where did those traits come from? And he began that search. Well, at that time in Pennsylvania, at that time, there was a law that said adoptive records were sealed, they weren't available to people. Well, people started petitioning petition, and said, we got to overcome this law because there's a lot of adoptive children out there that want to meet their biological parents. Can we change the law? And they petitioned the city of Harrisburg, the capital of PA, and said, can you please overturn this law? And they used the same Alex Haley quote in there that was called the Who Am I Movement. And they convinced the legislation in in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to say, overturn the law, make these adoptive records available to these children that want to find out where they've come from. And when that law came... That's when Dylan found out who he really was. He found out his name, his birth name was Jonathan Briggs. And he found out who his mother's name was. It took him a little time to actually make a connection with his biological mom through some social media, through some phone calls, through some research. All right? And he got this. And for the first time in his life, he understood where he came from. This is him have a reunion with his adoptive mom. It was a wonderful thing. And he tells his story and it's incredible. But that was only part of the story. There's a little bit more there. You see, the other part of the story is he sits down with his adoptive mom or his biological mom and says, "Do you know who my dad is? Do you know? I kind of want to figure this part out too. I know who my mom is." And I'm so thankful that these pieces of the puzzle came together, the law being overturned, the hunger inside of me, the ability to play football, the ability to lose the game of football and start coaching. I want to know who my father is. She goes, son, this isn't the love story you think it's going to be. You know, we weren't in love. We never ended up together. Your father was just somebody I fooled around with in high school. I made a mistake. And I became pregnant, and I had to put you up for adoption. It's not the love story. He goes, "Well, do you know his name?" She said, "Yeah, I remember his name. He was like to play football when he was in high school. He was kind of a star, and his name is Sherman Smith." And he said, "Wait a minute, I know a Sherman Smith." I had a Sherman Smith come to my high school and recruit me. I had a Sherman Smith come and coach me when I was in college. I had a Sherman Smith who looked out for me and gave me job opportunities upon job opportunities. And he said, I know I'm not your father, but I'm going to treat you like you're my son. Could this be the same Sherman Smith? And it was. The very man that was involved in his life the whole time was actually his biological father. The very man that he said, Sherman Smith was my college recruiter. Sherman Smith was my college coach. Sherman Smith was my professional mentor. Sherman Smith was like a father. And he stopped. Sherman Smith wasn't like a father. Sherman Smith actually was his father. The whole time, father and son spent 28 years of their life side by side and never really knew who he was. True story. So he calls up his college coach, his professional mentor, the person that was like a father figure to him and says, Coach, you're not going to believe this. Do you know this lady? He goes, wow, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Where would you come up with this? This was somebody I knew in high school. Do you know this lady? He said, well, yeah, I knew her. She was somebody I knew in high school. He goes, how did you bring this name up? He goes, well, you know I was adopted, right? And I got on the quest to find out who my, adoptive, or my biological mom was and this was a lady carol briggs and he said coach you're not gonna believe this she says you're my father and he got quiet and it was a sweet reunion not when they got together again as professional mentor as coach as recruiter but they got together as father and son and the pieces of the puzzle come together and made this beautiful thing that the whole time he was looking for a father, his father was right there. The whole time he's looking for guidance, his real father, his biological father is giving him guidance. It's an awesome story. I encourage you to watch it or to learn more about it. But I'm not here to praise his story, even though Dylan McCullough is a man of faith, All right, even though he thinks like we do. Not here to praise him, but to talk about his story. Because I think his story was partly my story, and it's partly your story. You may not be adopted. You might know who your parents are. But see, we have these earthly relationships, but we also have these spiritual relationships, these heavenly relationships. And we are all looking for something in life For Dylan, dealing. It was trying to find out who his father was, the journey of trying to find out who his father was. For us, it might be trying to find out where do we belong? Where do we fit in? What does my future hold? And we're trying to figure some of these things out in our own lives because you're young, you're impressionable. The whole world is ahead of you. And sometimes life seems hard. Sometimes it seems rocky. Sometimes it seems difficult. And you're like, where do these pieces of the puzzle come into place? Where can I find real purpose? Where can I find real contentment? Where can I find real joy? Because as hard as I work in this life, sometimes I feel every time I take a step forward, I'm taking two steps back. And every time I think I'm making progress, I get knocked down a little bit and I get confused. Is life supposed to be this hard? But the whole time, there is this heavenly relationship happening. And God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, are saying, listen... I know you want to look for a future, for hope, for contentment, for joy in things that the world offers because the world does a pretty slick job of packaging it. If you could just be popular, if you just have the right grades, you could just be in the right group, if you just have the right looks, all right, the right likes on social media, if you could just do this thing, this is where everyone's pulling us. And God is saying, listen, I'm right here. I'm right here. If you could just see me for who I am and what I've done for you Your life could have a different meaning, could have a different purpose, could have a different direction, could have a different path, can make a beautiful picture. I'm right here. Please don't ignore me. Please, I can give you answers where the world can't. I can give you hope where the world can't. I can give you a peace where the world can't. Not saying your life is going to be easy and simple, but saying it can be fulfilling it can have purpose, it can have meaning. Well, the story ends with Dylan finally getting both his biological parents together for the first time, and he had a family photo, 48 years old. He met some siblings, half-brothers and sisters he never knew he had, and it was a beautiful reunion. You see, this picture puts all the pieces of the puzzle of his life, the time when he was adopted, to the time his, his stepfather or his uh, adoptive father left, to the time they went without power. And pieces of the puzzle came together to intensity because if it wasn't for the intensity he played football, he'd never been recruited by his biological dad. If it wasn't the intensity that he played football and the, and, and the passion that he had, he wouldn't have had him as a professional mentor. And the whole time, those things are coming together. There are events that are happening in your life that are pointing you towards the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. He's right there. Sometimes we just have to have the eyes to see it. For dealing with his eyes to see it, we're getting his birth certificate and having a conversation with his biological mom. For us, it could be coming on a winter meltdown retreat and having a small group conversation with our youth leaders. There is things at work that maybe we don't see now, but when we take a couple steps back, maybe in a year or two or three or four or whatever, and we see the grander picture, do we understand what God is really doing in your life and how much he really loves you and wants a relationship with you. And some of you last night made that commitment for the first time, and it was wonderful to see that. And I hope you had a conversation with your youth leaders about it. But that brings us to this passage again. And we have broken it down into four parts. The sovereignty of God. And that was a hard topic to talk about the first night. I get it. You know, if God is all-powerful and all-loving, why is there so much hurt and pain in the world? And I think we went through that and went down that path and figured it out. Because He doesn't leave us there. He comes to us when we cry out and say, Lord, this world is tough. He comes to us and comforts those who mourn. And that's us. And not only does he comfort us and mourn, he takes these tough situations in our lives and turns these ashes into beauty. And that was last night as he got portrayed by the drama. And this morning, we want to end with this for the display of his glory. If you look at that last line up there, the last sentence says, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What call to action is there for us now? Now that we know that these pieces of the puzzle are coming together, what do we do with this picture, those puzzle pieces that are coming together? And it says here very clearly, display his glory. He uses the the, the word picture here, oaks of righteousness. There's a reason he uses oak. All right? Oaks are different than other trees. If you know a little bit about that from science class, sometimes when an oak grows they're, they're, in trees, sometimes the roots go out to grab vital nourishment from the soil and grab water. Uh, oak trees' roots grow down. Oaks are strong. Oaks can be built with. We do a lot of building here at the ranch. An oak two by four is as strong as a, as a, as a regular piece of lumber you get that's four, four by six. An oak is strong. It's strong. It takes a while to grow. But its roots go down. That when storms come, an oak tree can withstand that. You see, in an oak tree, there's as much going below the soil as there's going above the soil. It says there will be oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for display of glory. An oak is a mighty tree. An oak is a mighty tree. That an oak provides shade, provides a nice place, it has a lot of things happening above for glory that people can enjoy. But it also has deep roots. You see, to display His, his splendor I means really to display His glory. An oak of righteousness for God's splendor means that something was renewed and reborn in us through what He has done, and it points to His glory and how awesome He is. Being a mighty oak doesn't just mean you've been renewed and reborn. It means now you get to live your life that points to him for his glory. It means we no longer live in the ashes. We have become an oak of glory to display his splendor, that Jesus is real. He's just not a curse word, as our culture would say, that Jesus is real. He's just not a prophet or a good teacher, as some of our our professors or teachers might say, or the history books. He was actually God's son, and he deserves the glory. It means now that our lives, now that we've been saved, we can share those things. We can give the gift of hope, grace, love, and mercy to those we have relationships with. If you look back at the verses that we've been talking about in Isaiah, and I'll flip back real quickly, you can see there, all right, that he proclaims freedom for the captives. He binds the brokenhearted, the Lord's favor, He gives us joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit. That's what he's done for us. And it says here, we can be the host of righteousness to display his glory, and we can share that now with other people. That's a wonderful responsibility and a wonderful gift that we get to do. The truth is: the more we walk closer to God now that some of us has made those decisions, the more that we can do. The stronger our roots grow the bigger the canopy grows. And what I mean by that, if you're an oak of righteousness, you have to get deep. It doesn't stop here at winter meltdown. You have to continue to learn, have to continue to be in fellowship, have to continue to learn and to grow what it means to be a Christian, to be a child of God. And as your roots grow, the tree canopy grows. That's what people see. You see, below the roots, that's what you do. When you're home and you decide to turn off the TV and maybe pick up your Bible, you decide to stop engaging in social media and listen to a podcast or a sermon online, that we got to grow. It means stop maybe going to these events and maybe go to youth group. I'm not saying it's about works, things that we have to do, but if you really want to grow, you have to invest in it. It takes time. Make it your own. These oaks have been formed from the ashes that God brought us and redeemed us. And the oak chooses to honor God with his life's splendor. You no longer belong to the ash. You can bring comfort to people that are mourning. You can encourage the brokenhearted. You can bring good news to the poor and you can speak freedom to the captives of darkness. Jesus did that for us. And we can do that for them. In Matthew, it says this. You are a light of the world. A city, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is for his glory. Live your life accordingly that it points people to Jesus Christ. You won't regret it. It might be hard, but if you do that, there'll be some hard times, some down times. But if you can stay the course, there'll be a beautiful picture at the end. Kind of end with this to try to put everything together. Galatians 4 says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son. We talked about that last night born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us when we were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Now you're no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. And since you are a child, God has made you an heir. There's a beautiful riches waiting for you. You are an heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a child of his. He has been standing there the whole time saying, please know me, please get to know me. I want a relationship with you, I want a relationship so bad that I left my throne in heaven and came to earth, put on the skin of a man and became obedient to death, even death on the cross for you. And we understand how much our heavenly father loves us. We can step into that family and we know our true identity, that we are children of God and have a beautiful hope awaiting for us. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you for your response. Thank you for your listening. You guys have been wonderful. And I hope this weekend doesn't stay here, but you can continue to take these lessons home. and know that you are a child of God and He's got wonderful things planned for you. Continue to grow. Continue to learn. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode.